Throughout this podcast, I will be interviewing people across different fields and learning about the difficult discussions that they have within their careers, along with the tools that they use to manage those conversations. The end goal is to deduct common themes and skills among different individuals that can be applied to the complex conversations one has on a daily basis. Willingness to bring your identity makes one much more vulnerable, but that's what makes for a much more rich conversation. My name is Annabelle Walter, and this is Difficult Discussions, a podcast dedicated to finding a method to navigating difficult conversations. Hi, my full title is the Reverend Dr. Karen Rezac. I am the director of the Ethics Institute at Kent Place School, and I am the priest in charge and ordained minister, Reverend, um, at Grace Episcopal Church in Rutherford, New Jersey. Thank you. Um, And this podcast is obviously about navigating difficult discussions. So I'm wondering how you would define a productive conversation. For me, a productive conversation is one where both parties or all parties, because it doesn't necessarily have to be just between two people, are willing to listen attentively. And the way you know that people are listening is that they're able to respond to things specifically said by someone else. Lots of times an unproductive conversation is one where the person is just waiting for the moment where they can inject their opinion um, in order to prove the other person wrong or misguided. Um, A productive conversation is one where there's a give and take, um, where it's not just a bunch of statements, but even sometimes a clarifying question or, oh, I never considered that before, or have you thought about. Um, A productive conversation is also one that can be intense, but not heated, um, where there's not a raising of the voice. Because I think sometimes if a person becomes too emotional, that can shut the other person off and shut the other person down. And usually when the emotions rise, the hearing diminishes. And so um, it becomes less possible to hear the other person if your emotions take over. Yeah, really going in with the intent to understand and the intent to learn. And like you're saying, a productive conversation doesn't necessarily have a quote unquote winner at the end. Um, Well, I can remember um, a productive conversation I had actually was with Ms. Goldman, um, who, you know, who is a colleague here, another teacher of bioethics. And um, we could not be on farther polls. Okay, we absolutely are in complete disagreement on a societal issue that's an ethical issue. Uh, And we both knew, I think, going into the conversation, the goal of the conversation was how are we going to present this issue to the students? And, um, you know, one of the goals of the Ethics Institute, which I try to live out, is that we will always be neutral and that a student who walks away from a conversation, which would be a productive classroom conversation, is that they, the student would never know the position of the facilitator. So in this conversation, Ms. Goldman and I, um, I absolutely disagreed vehemently with what she was saying, and she absolutely vehemently disagreed with what I was saying, but we respectfully disagree. 
but I learned so much from her and I think she learned so much from me. So I agree with you, Annabelle, that a productive conversation is one where you go in um, with a beginner's mind as opposed to an expert mind. A beginner's mind is one that's open to learning. An expert mind is one that's open to teaching um, and imparting knowledge, not gaining knowledge. Yeah. So that was an example of a very productive conversation, one that did not end in, it, it, it ended in compromise, but it didn't end in agreement. And that was perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk <clears throat> about never uh, trying to make it a goal of yours to not show your own position and for the student to not know the position of the facilitator. Um, and sort of on that note, how do you think your identity or the identity of others impacts how you approach a difficult conversation? Well, I think that the identity issue is probably the most critical issue in difficult conversations because people, you know, I always say you need to bring your authentic self to the table. And, you know, part of a productive conversation or a really good conversation is learning Um, listening and understanding that each authentic person brings their own life experiences to the table. But now being that authentic person, there are some experiences that perhaps um, are difficult, um, more difficult than others. For example, myself, I am um, biracial, I'm half Asian, half American. And today that is like absolutely you wouldn't even blink, like, why even raising that, Dr. Rezac? But when I was growing up, that was so atypical. It was so, it was, it was almost like illegal. I think there were laws prior to when I was born that prohibited people from different races from marrying each other. Um, So there were lots of cultural norms around biracial marriages and certainly having biracial children. So when I was growing up, I I had a lot of confronted a lot of, you know, prejudice and mean statements and things like this. So for me personally, when I'm involved in a conversation where people may say things that are hurtful um, based on a person's identity, that, you know, that can trigger an emotional response in me that I have to be aware of and not respond to. And so bringing your willingness to bring your identity makes one much more vulnerable, but that's what makes for a much more rich conversation. So for example, if I react because it was something that was triggering, or if anyone reacts because it's something that was triggering, that'll shut down a conversation. If you respond because it's something that's triggering and related to your identity, then again, somebody doesn't have to agree or disagree with you, but they can't disagree with your life's experiences. And we all have identities. We all have life's experiences. And that could either, again, how a person, so you always have to, I tell this to people all the time in workshops, you have to check yourself before you even try to facilitate a conversation. You have to be aware of your own sensitivities, your own identity, your own way of personally 
you know, navigating the world. And you have to check that and know that before you can even step into a difficult conversation. And again, not yet you leave it, but that you're aware of your challenge areas so that they don't become conversation killers, but conversation starters. So I'm hearing that it's sort of this balancing act between bringing your own emotions and your life experiences and empathy to a discussion while also making sure that you don't find yourself in a situation in which um, you are made uncomfortable in a conversation and your emotions get out of hand. And you're saying that in order to you know, prevent that situation and walk that line, it's important to know your own limits and own boundaries so that your conversation isn't unproductive. Exactly. And think about it. How often do we as people, as you know, human beings, take the time to do that self-reflection, right? So we don't always take the time to do that self-reflection. No, we don't. No, and to really know ourselves. That's why people can't have, you know, civil discourse today because, you know, th- they find conversations that challenge their identity to be hostile and they don't have to be hostile. But again, you have to spend, you have to do the the work of self-reflection and knowing what's important to you and um, who you are and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And I think you're also touching on remembering on this part of both parties that you're debating an issue, not debating a person. So like you were saying, you're not questioning one's life experiences or their emotions, you're questioning a topic or a debate. Yes, but this goes with the identity part. This is where it can get complicated. Mm -hmm. If let's just say you are talking about an issue. uh, So only because I mentioned, you know, the fact that I'm half Korean, half American. So, you know, that you're talking about the issue of race or you're talking about let. I'll use an example of, you know, the um, college admissions, right? So when we talk about college admissions in our ethics bowl conversations and are there certain groups that have, you know, caps as to, you know, I think that there were a group of Asian students who um, sued Harvard University for discrimination. So I know because I'm half Asian that that might be a conversation where I might hear things that might get me, you know, have like some sort of an emotional reaction, but I know that going into the conversation, so I'm not going to allow it. So the issue can become about identity. So that's why understanding your identity and knowing you're talking about an issue, not about a person or personal is critical going into um, these difficult conversations. And sort of along those lines, what do you think the role of objectivity is within Mm -hmm. these difficult conversations that are had? I think the role of objectivity is an important one for the facilitator. I think that in being objective, if we're really going to have meaningful conversation, If someone's facilitating it, they need to be objective. Um, But in sometimes in sharing your opinion, it's hard to be objective, right? So if 
I'm facilitating a conversation between two people or a whole class for that matter, uh, I need to be, to me, objectivity is staying, is remaining neutral. But if I'm participating in the conversation, and if I'm one of the people that's bringing a perspective, um, I think remaining neutral in terms of what you want the outcome, remaining objective as to what you want the outcome to be is one thing. But if you're bringing a perspective, sometimes you can't be objective because it's, a, a, again, it's a personal perspective. But always the facilitator must be objective or else the conversation is dead. Because if the participants get any inkling that the facilitator is siding on one side or another or has feelings about an issue that is not equal, it kills the whole conversation because then the other person or the, the other side becomes almost null and void. Yeah. So on the side of the facilitator, you have to be almost an advocate for both or an advocate for neither. And Correct. then for the participants, objectivity really means, of course, they're going to be sharing your perspective, but you have a willingness to learn and you don't, you know, immediately go in saying you're right, I'm wrong. Or exactly. I'm right, you're wrong. You don't go in saying, you know, um, the goal of this conversation is to get you to, um, you know, to agree with me or to agree with my perspective on this. There you have to be totally objective that the goal of the conversation is not to win over one side or the other. The goal of the conversation is not to legitimize one side over another. The goal of the conversation that in that way, it's objective. But um, so that's what I mean, that you have to have an objective outcome, but that coming in with your own perspective, sometimes you're, you're not, you know, it's, it's not neutral. And sort of on the same note as uh, this conversation of goals in a conversation, what are the main values that you try and instill in, in students and encourage when they're having these discussions and when you're facilitating? There's a few. Number one is empathy, right? So you have to be able to um, put yourself in the shoes of the other person. And that really requires listening. Number two is authenticity. You can't be a fake coming into a conversation. You must be willing to bring your true self. That requires um, vulnerability. Nobody likes to be vulnerable. Um, you know, especially if you're coming into a conversation that may be difficult. But if you're going to be authentic, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. So it's it's almost like you have you have empathy for the other and you hope the other has empathy for you. The other value that I think is really important is humility. You don't need to come into the conversation thinking you know everything. Again, what I've been saying that, you know, I know what's right and you are a fool if you don't agree with me, or I'm going to convince you of what a fool you are by not agreeing with me. Humility means this is how I understand the situation right now. And I'd like to share that with you. And, you know, listening again to the other side. So empathy, authenticity, and humility. And always, of course, now there are there are others, respect, respect for the other person. And equally important also is integrity. 
you want to honor the integrity of the conversation while also being a person of integrity and um, being it, that's that's related to authenticity, being your authentic self. So I think that those are really the most important. Yeah. It's almost like honoring yourself and honoring the other person. Mm -hmm. um, so you talk about empathy and I usually ask this question more to the medical field aspect of this, but um, I was just wondering how can, how can we balance empathy and you know, trying to step into another individual's shoes while still prioritizing our own mental health and our own, um, our own beliefs, especially in a, in a, just a normal conversation. How do you maintain that respect for the other individual? How do you try and see it from their lens while also ensuring that you feel comfortable in the conversation you're in? <clears throat> because you don't have to agree with the person, right? So, you know, sometimes you, you realize, and again, in a, in a good conversation, a good conversation doesn't mean that it, a productive conversation, which was the first question, doesn't mean that it ends in compromise. A productive conversation is one, again, where each person feels listened to, valued, and had the opportunity to express oneself. Sometimes, you know, in, in maintaining your own mental health, right? But also in having empathy, you may come to the end of it and say, you know what? We're never going to agree on this. And that's okay. Um, you know, I respect your position. I don't agree with it. And actually, you know, it's, I find it harmful or hurtful to me. And so I really can't engage with it anymore. And that's okay too, because it wasn't a screaming match. It didn't end in um, any type of harm. Because to me, when it becomes volatile, mean, personally destructive, whether it be self-destructive or destructive of the other person, that's when it's, it's got to stop. And so before it gets to that point, I think it's, it's really good. That's what I mean about maintaining the integrity, having integrity of the conversation, maintaining and respecting the integrity of the conversation that you know what, we're never going to come to an agreement and that's okay, but I have to walk away from it and that's okay too. And I understand if you have to walk away from it and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. It's like you were saying earlier, really checking in with yourself, knowing your own mm -hmm. boundaries and your own limitations and keeping a conversation productive and maintaining that empathy and integrity by knowing when it's better to step away because- mm -hmm a productive conversation doesn't necessarily have to clear, have to have a clear solution or ending. No. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to say, you know, I really can't have this conversation with you right now because I, I need to process some of this for myself. I need to think about like what's important to me again, it goes to integrity. I need to think about what's important to me in this conversation before I can engage, because I, I, again, knowing myself, I need to think more deeply about it before I can engage with you. Because if I don't think more deeply about it, I will have an emotional response, which will then end up ugly because I might get angry. I might get hurt. I might start crying. I might do any, all of the above, which again, is an, excuse me, is an indication that it has impacted your mental health and well-being. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. My next question was going to be, when do you think a conversation stops being productive? But it really just sounds like when that conversation conversation turns personally damaging and becomes emotional and about harming the individual rather than tackling a topic. Absolutely, positively, because you know one of the old conversation norms we used to have here was that purity of motive, and you know practice purity of motive. And I think that sometimes we don't practice purity of motive when the conversations go really wrong and then it it becomes uh, damaging or hurtful. And then things can be said that the motivation is clearly to be, um, you know, to hurt the other person or to poke holes in how the other person is or who the other person is. And that is never productive, never. And it's better to walk away. Hurtful, harmful, damaging, not good. Now, there are issues that can be painful and you can have a productive conversation around them. But to be hurtful to the other person or to yourself in having that conversation is a totally different level. And that requires a shutdown because that's it's not going to help anybody. As a matter of yeah. fact, it, it, it will undoubtedly, you know, have lasting consequences, which are more harmful than beneficial. Yeah. And I think it's super important that you say not only if the conversation is harmful to the other person, but harmful to yourself. Absolutely. That, yeah. That, I think that's a really important factor of this whole thing, knowing your own boundaries and that it's okay to step away. And, and that's a very healthy reaction to a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think the, your objectives shift between teaching people to have these ethical discussions in an academic setting like we do with Ethics Bowl versus actually having those conversations in real life like you experienced with Ms. Goldman, as you were saying? It's so much easier to facilitate the conversations with the class, <laughs> with the class or with the team. Um, I actually find that um, I find it challenging and I find it um, fun, but it's fun is probably too. I, I don't know the right word because the goal is, you know, to really get the students, the team to think really broadly and so it's almost like a, like a challenge to me as a facilitator. If you say A, I will say Z. You know, if you say up, I'm going to say down. Um, so I find that, you know, except when the case is like too much, like where I can't help but inject my, my uh, personal opinion. And I think I've only done that maybe three times in all the years it encourages students to um, to express an opinion that I think maybe they may have been afraid to express. Like it gives people permission to say things that maybe they thought that they couldn't say. So that also, um, you know, facilitating a conversation like that helps to create a safe space for people um, where you can really have really good and really deep conversations. I find that, um, professionally challenging, but not personally challenging. When they're personal conversations, um, that's way more challenging because I'm totally investing my my personal self 
into the conversation with an expectation that I'm going to say what I really think or really believe or really feel. Um, and so that requires a, a much more of a commitment on my part um, in terms of, you know, my own opinions and my own thinking. And uh, I have some strong opinions. I don't know if you've ever noticed that about me, Annabelle. Um, so, um, you know, so that can be that can be a little that that's definitely a lot more challenging because then I have to practice what I preach, you know? Um, yes. So that's, uh, that's definitely, um, they're, they're both challenging, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. It's like you were saying before the facilitator, the, the main responsibility is to be objective and to create a space where all perspectives are welcomed and shared. Whereas as a participant in the discussion, you're, putting your own perspective, your own skin in the game per se. Um, and so that has a much greater impact on you depending on how that conversation goes. Exactly. But, you know, when you were just uh, saying that, I thought about though, there, there have been times, challenging times, um, like with the team. So some of the cases like that have to do with like defund the police um, or, there are so many cases that deal with racial relations in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I ask, even the one about the profiling last year, the profiling of the young person, of young tips, tips for good living. Yes. Like, I feel like if I ask the que a question that appears to be, you know, um, not empathetic or that I'll just I'll come around and say that if I if I ask a question that could be misconstrued as being insensitive or racially insensitive, I would I sometimes don't ask the question because I just think, you know, that's not whereas if it wasn't students, you know, if you were older, I might ask a question like that just to to spark you know, uh, a greater conversation. But so I have to also be aware of the students um, and um, to not ask a question that could hurt somebody, that it goes back down to, you know, the same thing we were just talking about, damaging. I would never ask a question in the, in the practices that I think would be damaging. But then we had that person ask, say that, that damaging thing to us in that, um, regional two years ago, which was absolutely outrageous. So there are sensitive issues where even as a facilitator, even as a coach, you really have to think about, you really have to have empathy for everybody that's, you know, for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Um, and on that note, what, what skills have you taken from being head of Ethics Institute into, you know, your various other careers. I know you were a middle school principal, um, you're a reverend, so you have lots of responsibilities, lots of roles. I think that the, <clears throat> the ethical decision-making method and the whole ethical approach was my greatest asset as the middle school principal, because there were many, many difficult decisions. And I found that being able to say, I, this is a tough ethical dilemma and I need time to consider it. 
um, I think was, first of all, good role modeling, but it was so helpful for me because it was really truthful that there were some really difficult situations that required time. And then when I finally gave my decision and based the decision on the values, though people may not have agreed with the decision, they were at least able to understand the rationale and the thinking and the values upon which that decision was based. And I think that it was so very helpful, so deeply helpful. And it also invited um, people who disagreed and dissenters to say, you know, in that situation, I might not have valued fairness. I might have valued compassion. Um, and this is the reason why. And so it led to better non-confrontational conversations, especially when there was not agreement about the decision that was made. So I think that it was um, enormously helpful. And I also think that it helped to create an ethical climate with all the constituents in the school, because then people started utilizing the same method and methodology, which I think just creates for, um, you know, a more healthy, safer environment for all the reasons that we've talked about. With my other job as a reverend, I find that the most challenging because, uh, you know, there, there's a redemptive quality to religion as opposed to an accountability quality or a, um, you know, it's, it's, and I cannot tell you, as, as last week I said, if this were school, and if, you know, if this were a situation where I was the principal, it had been resolved and this would have been over because this is what I would have done. But I can't do that in this situation because you have that whole forgiveness, redemption, all of that, you know, and everybody gets, you know, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance a fifth chance, a sixth chance. Um, I do use it all the time though. You know, for example, I, I said uh, actually this past Sunday that, you know, we're, uh, we, we had an incident where a parishioner went into the Montessori school that's attached to the church and they're not allowed in there. So instead of my getting up there and saying, you know, pontificating about how you're not allowed in there and no one goes, I instead said, because we have to ensure the safety of the children in the Montessori school. I'm asking that no one goes into the Montessori school because that needs to be a safe and secure place for them. Now, didn't that sound much better? <laughs> so if yeah. I didn't have the ethics and the method and the values, it would have become confrontational, but who can disagree with the safety of the children? So it really is very helpful. in. um, I, I have utilized it. It's a part of my life, honestly, you know, and it's now it's, it's really is how I think about decisions and it's how I um, express my decision always values based. So it's been very helpful, but you can't apply a hundred percent in a church. <laughs> yes. So you're about to walk into a room, let's say it's our ethical practice, and you know we have a particularly sensitive case and it's going to be a very hard conversation. What do you tell yourself before you go into that room? That I am not going to react. I tell myself no matter what is said, 
that I will maintain, you know, I, I will not, I will not get emotional that I will not react. I will respond because there's a difference between responding and reacting. And I will make sure the most important thing is that every student in that room feels safe and feels heard and feels respected. And so maintaining that is the most important thing. And, um, and I might even start, you know, the conversation by saying, you know, this is a really tough issue that may be difficult for, for some of us. You know, I think it's always important too to say like, instead of saying for some of you, because that creates us and them, some of us, we're all in this together. And um, so I think that that's really important. I sometimes get nervous when, you know, I, I worry about, oh my God, you know, this conversation may be difficult. Um, but I always think you're not going to react, you're going to respond, and you're going to make sure everyone feels safe and respected.